I am so thankful to be a part of a church with a group like Ren Cares, which helps us help others. Because the gospel tells us that's why God saved us, to become people who are zealous for doing good things. It's easy to miss that fact when we think about God's grace. It happens all the time. Shortly after I finished seminary, I was introduced to an older couple. When I told them I had studied to be a pastor, she asked me a question. What do Christians mean when they talk about God's amazing grace? I have a friend who loves that song. What does it mean? Before I could answer, her husband beat me to it. It means that when you die, you get to go to heaven even though you deserve to go to hell. I was caught off guard, but before I could say anything, they were on to another subject. Now, I've thought of his answer a lot since. There was some truth in what he said, which is what makes the flaw in it such a dangerous distortion. His answer is an understanding of God's grace, which, unfortunately, is as popular as it is wrong. Let's spend some time here and start with the truth in what he said. Two things to note. First, grace is something which we receive despite being unworthy of it. You don't deserve it, and yet it is given. He had that part right. It's unmerited, which is what makes it grace. That's first. Secondly, the gift of God's grace saves us. He was right about that, too. God rescues us from destruction through his grace. The Bible is full of images that depict this. We are guilty, but God makes us innocent. We are lost, but God finds us. We are stained crimson, God makes us pure, white as snow. Prisoners who are freed, oppressed but liberated. We were dead in our sin, but God has made us alive. We are saved by God's grace. That second part of his answer was also true. But then there was a distortion that ruined the whole thing. Think carefully with me. He said that grace means when you die, you go to heaven even though you deserve to go to hell. If that's what grace is, then it only does its work after you are finished living. Only then does it make a difference. After you've lived your life, it's either heaven or hell. That's where God's grace comes into play according to his way of thinking. And that is where he was completely wrong. Listen now. Grace is for now, not only later. And thinking otherwise is what keeps the church from making a difference in the world today because it makes the whole story of God's grace irrelevant for real life now. And it's just plain wrong. It's not how the Bible depicts God's grace, both why and how it is amazing. Let's look in one place where this distortion is cleared up. In Paul's letter to Titus, we will hear that God's grace saves us apart from any merit of ours. This is chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 4. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared... He saved us not because of any works of righteousness that we had done, 
but according to his mercy. Now, both of the positive elements in that man's answer are here. First, grace is undeserved. It comes because of God's mercy, not because of something that we had done, but because of an essential quality in God's character. God is merciful. He does not deal with us according to our transgressions. He delights in showing clemency, thank God. That's first. And then secondly, grace saves us. It's right there. The goodness and loving kindness of God saves us. Now, maybe like that man, when you hear the phrase saves us, you think heaven instead of hell after you die. But if you read through Paul's letter to Titus carefully, you'll notice that he never mentions heaven or hell by name. Because that kind of either or after death is not the effect of God's grace, which is primary to Paul. He does speak of eternal life, but for him, that's something that begins right now in the present. We know this because when Paul talks about grace, the emphasis is rarely on what happens after you die. Much more frequently, the focus is the impact of grace before you die. To put it simply, God has not saved us only for what happens after this life, but so we will live differently now. Grace isn't something for later, it's for today. And what makes it amazing is what grace does now. Listen carefully to how God's grace operates in the present. This is just a bit earlier in the letter to Titus. This is chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all, training us to renounce impiety and worldly passions. To renounce something means to reject it completely. Impiety and worldly passions are those patterns of behavior and attitudes which result in our being less than we should be. Even if you've never used that language, you know what Paul means. Selflessness, greed, lust, dishonesty, pettiness, and cruelty. Grace which saves us is present to train us to say no to these things right now. The image of a trainer here comes from the world of athletics. Picture a coach. Grace is present now, like a coach, to offer exercises, strategies, and practice routines, which, if followed, will enable us to develop the skills that we lack to be different kinds of people. Now, in the second half of verse 12 into 13, he tells us how grace prepares us. And in the present age, to live lives that are self-controlled, upright, and godly, while we wait for the blessed hope and the manifestation of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Receiving God's salvation does point us forward. We do wait for God's glory to be revealed, either after we die or if Jesus returns before then. But notice when grace's effect is felt. In the present age. Now, 
is when grace enables us to live lives which are self-controlled rather than controlled by the circumstances we happen to find ourselves in. Now is when grace teaches us to be people who are upright, honorable rather than deceitful and crooked. Now is when grace enables us to be like God in our relationships, kind and generous and merciful and good. God's grace is amazing because it trains us to live differently today, which is just why God has saved us. Listen to Paul's description of Jesus carefully. This is verse 14. He it is who gave himself for us, there he's talking about Jesus, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify for himself a people of his own who are zealous for good deeds. There you have it. Jesus saved us to make us his own people who right now are being trained by grace to be zealous for good deeds in this present age. That's what's amazing about grace. It comes to a person who would have felt quite right going along through his life, being completely self-centered, and it turns him inside out so that from now on, he is someone who is in training all his life long to become a part of a people whose reason for being is to do good things for others in the world right now. Grace is present now to train us to do right to use our excess to help those who have too little build a better life, to cook a meal for a new mother or father, to run a race that raises money to build wells in Africa, or support folks who are in grief because of loss or struggling through divorce or addiction, to meet together to pray for the needs of the folks all around you. God has given his grace so we become people who are singularly focused on doing good things for others in the world. To me, that's amazing. Now is the time for you to receive God's grace. And that means now is the time to let grace coach you into becoming a person who is zealous for good deeds. Before we sing one more song together, let me lead us in a simple prayer. Join your hearts with me now. God, we thank you for giving us your grace in Jesus. We pray that we would receive your grace and that it would train us even now to become people who are different. We love you and thank you for delivering us Please use us in whatever way you can to be your instruments of goodness in this world which you love, even now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.